I don't know how many of you have ever seen the TV show The Office, but if you have, maybe you can picture this scene. Those of you who haven't seen it, The Office is this show. It's a comedy about this paper company in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and basically it follows the funny things that happen in all these different characters' lives. Well, there's one episode that I thought really connected well with what we're looking at today. So there's this guy, Ryan. All right, so he's a temp. He's just starting off. He's trying ever so hard to become a salesman. He wants to be a leader in this company. And so as a temp, you can imagine the stuff he's doing. He's taking out the trash. He's going on the coffee runs, getting the donuts, doing everything he can to pay his dues to finally get the chance to sell. Well, finally, that day comes. And so he gets invited to go on this sales call with a guy named Stanley, who's an experienced salesman, been there for years. And as they're driving to their first call, Ryan, kind of in a cocky way, looks at Stanley across the car and says, you mind if I take this call? And Stanley, with more than a twinkle in his eye, agrees, and you'll see why in a second. So they pull in, they enter the lobby of this law firm, and they're met by four lawyers, all wearing the same style suit, they have the same style hair, and the same pencil-thin mustache that Stanley does. And so you can kind of figure out, maybe Stanley's got a good connection with these people. And maybe Ryan should have been thinking, hey, I should back off, swallow my pride, let Stanley do this. But no, he goes ahead and he tries to make the sale and he botches it completely. It is embarrassingly bad. It is painful to watch. And they're driving back to the office and Stanley's just in tears. He's crying so hard. What was it? You know, what was it about Ryan? Well, he was overconfident, right? He had built himself up too much. He let his pride get the better of him. Do you think that people have this Ryan-like leadership? I'm not picking on you, Ryan, I promise. This Ryan-like tendency when it comes to leadership. Do we tend to overestimate our abilities and think that we're worthy of a leadership position when we're really not? And maybe we even criticize those who are in that position over us. Or maybe as leaders we feel like the position God has given us, we're not up to it. We don't have the skill set. We don't have the ability. How can God expect us to lead when you don't feel worthy to do so? What does Christ-centered, godly leadership look like? Well, Aaron and Miriam and Moses each had their own answers to that question. So just think about these three. Talk about a sibling dream team. You had Moses as the God-selected leader of Israel. You had Aaron as the first high priest, the pastor of Israel. You had Miriam, who was a prophet led all the women. She was held in the highest regard by everybody. Together they had led God's people out of Egypt, that land of slavery, into the wilderness, going closer and closer to that far-off promised land. But even with those high positions of honor before their peers, before their God, Miriam and Aaron wanted more. I mean, just think about what Moses went through as the leader of Israel the amount of criticism he took, the amount of animosity people had toward him, the amount of grumbling he had to endure every single day, the discontentment that surrounded him. No matter what decision he made, it seemed like somebody was unhappy. And so you would think that out of all the people on the face of the earth, the people who would support him would be his older brother and his older sister, who even saved his life when he was a baby. They should always be in his corner. They should always have his sixth. But instead, the sibling dream team transforms into an all-out sibling rivalry. Look what happens here. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife. For he had married a Cushite. 
Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked. Hasn't he also spoken through us? Miriam starts this discussion. Aaron joins right in. They look at Moses and they think to themselves, what makes him so much better than us? We should have that position. We should have that leadership. We should have that power. We deserve it. And honestly, you could probably do a better job than he's doing. What makes this even more saddening is that this is all happening not in a closed room, closed door, off somewhere in the woods type place. No, it's happening right in front of Moses' face. Miriam and Aaron are looking their own younger brother in the eyes and telling him he's not good enough, cutting him right down to his heart. And look at their first criticism that they have of him. They criticize him because of what? Because he had a Cushite wife, an ethnic, a racist argument that was there that they used to erode his respect, erode his authority. They used this as sort of a smokescreen to what the real issue was. They wanted more authority. They wanted more power. They thought they deserved it. I mean, hasn't that kind of been the aim of racist agendas throughout history? This, this idea that if we humiliate a group of people, we can take a power that we want, that we deserve. It's a tactic that the Lord, the creator of all people, righteously hates. It's there in verse 2. We see that dark portal into their hearts. They were willing to do whatever it took, even cutting down their own sister-in-law breaking the heart of their younger brother, if that's what it took for them to get what they thought was rightfully theirs. I don't know about you, but maybe you know exactly what Moses felt like. Maybe you know how familiar his sandals are. Maybe it's as a parent, when you're trying everything you can to do what's right for your child, leading them closer to Jesus, trying to give them the best possible life you can, but you look around at the other parents and they seem to be doing way better than you. And maybe even your own kids are criticizing the way that you're parenting them. And you try so hard, but you can't help but feel like you're failing. Maybe as a boss or a supervisor, you have people under you, you set the strategy, you set the ideas, you have a mission for where you're going. Yet no matter what you try, no matter how you act, there's that one employee that just doesn't like anything you try. No matter what you do, there's always a critic. Maybe it's just in school in general where you, know, you guys are in a tough environment where people come at you against your Christian beliefs and you're trying to keep these beliefs that lead your life, but it becomes harder and harder to do that. Or maybe, sadly, you know what's going through the mind of Aaron and Miriam. Especially in the world around us that so screams that serving is for losers, that we deserve more than to be a servant. We should be a leader. It's the self-promotion instead of God-promotion. And I can speak from experience on that for a long time, to my shame. I, I think of my summer work where I used to work on a corn farm and all the times I'd criticize my boss behind his back, all the times I thought I could do a better job, and how little of the time I asked God to give him wisdom, to pray for him, to do the best job I can to make him look better. Maybe you've been there. Maybe it's that attitude, too, that's kind of blood over in how we view our government leaders, too, right? I mean, criticizing the government today, it's kind of like talking about the weather, right? It's just this, this topic of small talk that we're almost expected to have. But in reality, who are we criticizing? It's a smokescreen to who we're really criticizing. That's the one who put them there in the first place, right? Right? 
How little you and I at times pray for our leaders. How little you and I focus on the cause for Christ. The only cause that's eternally a difference maker. We focus on the political cause of the time. And that, let that envelop who we are and what we think about. Yet in all these things, God sees it. And Arian and Miriam, they experienced that firsthand. Look what it says. In this conversation, they weren't alone. It says the Lord heard. Miriam and Aaron had the God of the universe listening in on this conversation. And God just wouldn't sit still. He couldn't let Moses be mocked like this. Look at how he describes Moses. Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. And this scene gets even more intense. At once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them went out. I mean, just imagine that for a second, the chills and the adrenaline of hearing God speak to you. And not only that, you see a cloud come down. God is physically in front of you. And now he does something else. He singles out specifically Aaron and Miriam. He says, Moses, sit still. You two come forward. And look what he says. When there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams, but this is not true of my servant Moses. He's faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? God wholeheartedly and unashamedly backs his servant. In this personal and powerful way, he takes Moses, who must have felt so isolated, so downtrodden, picks him back up and shows him that he had his back. God is there for his chosen leaders. Unfortunately for you and me, there are consequences to that selfish ambition, consequences when we don't think about praying and being there, the leaders God has put in our life. The scene goes into slow motion. So God, that cloud, it departs. You can't see him, but he's still there, obviously. And as Aaron turns his head, he sees one of the most gruesome sights he's ever seen in his life. Miriam, his sister, was leprous, skin as white as snow, and Aaron is horrified. In desperation, he cries to Moses, Please, my Lord, I ask you not to hold against us this sin we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming from its mother's womb with its flesh half-eaten away. I mean, talk about just ugly. Talk about even disgusting. But there's something beautiful about this. Just look at the heart transformation that Aaron had. He goes from criticizing his brother now to calling him my Lord. He forgets about his selfish ambition, instead confesses his sin and says, please forgive me. Don't hold this sin against us. Please take this away. And his sin was forgiven. So was his sister Miriam's. But as you and I know, even sins forgiven do still have consequences at times. I mean, for Aaron, it was this guilt-riddled heart because he knew he could have stopped that conversation from happening. He knew he could have stood up for his brother. Now he has to watch his sister suffer. And for Miriam, it was this mortifying skin disease. What is it for you? What do those consequences feel like for you when we're so focused on self and leading for self instead of serving and leading under Jesus? Maybe it's that relationship that you once had with your mom or dad that just isn't the same ever since that argument. Maybe it's that great relationship you have with your boss that doesn't seem like it can be mended. Maybe it's just the guilt. The guilt that if you wish you would have said something differently, that relationship could have been so different. 
What do we do? What do we do when we feel like we're falling apart? What do we do when we as leaders feel like we're not enough? We feel leprous, coming apart at the seams. But there is one who makes us whole. And that one who makes us whole was there, here in Numbers 2. I mean, after the downright hurtful words that Moses heard, you could expect him to just walk away, no love lost. They got what they deserved, but that's not what he does. No, Moses cried out to the Lord, Please, God, heal her. No grudges held. It's not about self-promotion. It's about God-promotion. It's leading by serving. He puts aside maybe all the things he would love to say to his brother and sister. He puts that away. He forgets self. and He cries out to God. And the great thing is, is God not only hears his prayer, he listens to it. He healed Miriam. And before you rightfully say, Pastor, where do you see that here? Hear me out. So God responds, he says, if, your father had, or if her father had spit in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? Can find her outside the camp for seven days. After that, she can be brought back. But even then, we see God's mercy. The Israelites don't move on. They wait for her and they welcome, back, welcome her back with open arms. Isn't this incredible how God not only verbally backs Moses and builds him back up, but he backs Moses' leadership with his power. He healed Miriam. So what was it about Moses that God loved him so? What can Moses teach us about leadership, about leading by serving? Well, Moses will be the first to tell you, you're looking at the wrong guy. He would redirect you to the creator of leadership himself. Someone called the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Maybe you've heard of him. Listen to his leadership paradigm. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Lead by serving. Because leading for self, it loses. But serving under Jesus wins. Doesn't Moses give us a glimpse of our Savior? For all the times we weren't a servant leader, for all the times we cut down Jesus himself, when we criticize those he placed in authority over us, Jesus intercedes for us. As we repent and we confess our sin, he steps in and he cries out to the Lord to forgive us. Jesus is the greatest ever because he made himself the least of all. He became a part of this creation. He lowered himself to be a human being. He lowered himself even further to die the most humiliating death imaginable. He became nothing. So you could have everything. He's removed every single one of your sins, including those sins of selfish ambition and despair over failed leadership. He's He's taken that away forever. As you look at Jesus, you realize your worth. You realize a leader worth following. You realize that the cause of the cross is the greatest purpose anyone can have in this life. We no longer want to lead for self. We lead under Jesus. He renews our hearts to be like children. And there's nothing wimpy or infantile about it. He leads us to welcome him with childlike trust and bold courage as he rules in our hearts. So what does Jesus teach us as we lead and serve in our lives? Remember what Jesus' younger brother James said in our second reading? The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Jesus is the living embodiment of that wisdom that came down from heaven. 
He's that perfectly wise leader. And through faith, He's given you those same abilities, that same description as well. As servants and leaders washed in baptism by the same God who washed His disciples' feet, you want to be considerate, submissive, and sincere. And submissive here, it's not just being a pushover. It's submitting to God's will just like Jesus did. To trust in Him that even if He takes you down a path that you don't really see the point of, you trust that He knows what He's doing. and He's directing you out of love for you. We, as leaders, we, we don't lead by giving in. No, we lead by giving our all to serve Jesus. Because serving for self loses. Leading under Jesus wins. Lead by serving. So whether you wear the hat of mom, of dad, of boss, police officer, soldier, canine officer, church councilman, pastor, intelligence agent, teacher, retired, in whatever vocation you find yourself, live and lead with your Christ-given attitude of servanthood. When criticism surrounds you in your life, Cling to a peaceful adherence to the one who showed us the greatest example of self-sacrifice. Lead by serving until you hear the words of the greatest servant leader. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Amen. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, To the only God, our Savior, be all glory, majesty, power, and authority, through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.